Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Last week we were studying earlier in this passage in Luke chapter 9 the way Jesus wins the kingdom and the way we live in the kingdom. And we said last week as we studied this that the road to glory is suffering. You cannot understand Christ. You can't understand the Christian without understanding that the road to glory is suffering. Jesus wins the kingdom. He gets the kingdom. He conquers and brings the kingdom through suffering. He told his disciples, look, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the leaders of this day. Sin, I'm going to suffer shame and pain and death at their hands to win the kingdom. That is you and I, a kingdom of saints. And he said this, that that on this side of glory, you and I who are in Christ, we are going to live in the kingdom through suffering. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus wins the kingdom through suffering. We live on this side of glory in the kingdom through suffering. And so Jesus is wrestling with his disciples and us to understand himself on his terms, not on our terms. We take that title Christ and we take that allegiance Christian and we start filling it with all kinds of things that we come up with, all kinds of bizarre things. And Jesus is wrestling with us to remind us there is no Christ without a cross and there is no Christian without cost. The road to glory is suffering. So when we read this passage that we're about to read, it's a curious next move for Jesus. He's just told his disciples they're not going to get the glory of the Christ now. That only comes through suffering. But then he climbs up on this mountain and he reveals that very thing to them, his glory. What's Jesus doing? You know, there's few things in my life that produce more anxiety than giving somebody a gift. I don't know what it is about it, but I just feel like I'm a terrible gift giver and I'm going to offend somebody when I give them something because they're like, why would you give me this? Um, So Julie in our marriage has has had to endure this scene often where I'll come home and I'll say, hey, babe, I saw a beautiful bouquet of flowers in the store and I thought of you. I thought that would be something that you might like. Never do that as a husband. What, what I'm trying to do is, is pacify my insecurity to say, was that a right uh, instinct that you would like that? And Julie's left to say often, babe, that is so sweet that you thought of me. You know what would have been sweeter? <laughs> if you would have got the flowers and brought them to me. That, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you're not going to get this. And yet he, he pulls back the veil and reveals his very glory to these disciples after they've heard these things. What, what is Jesus doing and why would he do this? Let me read our passage in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. 
And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid And the, as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would appear to us in all your glory this morning, that you would speak to us and call us afresh to listen to you with spiritual ears. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. You know, Jesus throughout his life and ministry is constantly and purposefully placing himself in God's story. God's story of salvation, of redemption that starts in Genesis and goes to Revelation. Jesus is always putting himself in that story. Now, most of us in this room, if we are Christians, are Gentile Christians. We did not grow up in a Jewish home. We did not grow up reading our Old Testaments in Hebrew or celebrating God's promises at the given festivals that he gave. And so a lot of us as Gentile Christians, we got to play catch up. We're, we're guests into the household of God. We're like a branch being grafted into the tree of faith. And so we've got to catch up with these promises that Jesus is fulfilling. When we first trust in Jesus, it's kind of like sitting down to a meal. Everything's fresh. Everything's new. Everything's wonderful. We taste and see that the Lord is good, and we love what we feast on in Christ. Don't even tell me what's in the sweet potato souffle. Just give me seconds. I just want to hear more of this. And this is how Jesus is presented to us in the New Testament. It is, it is enough for my four-year-old to gobble up and taste and see that Jesus is good. But the Old Testament is kind of like getting invited back into the kitchen to see where the recipe magic happens, to see how that, that table is laid out, to see why butter makes everything better and how you get a meal from the kitchen to the table. How does it all work? Well, if we have been steeped in our Old Testament, we can't feast on this passage of Luke chapter 9 without tasting the story of the Exodus all over this thing. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, Genesis, then Exodus. And Exodus tells the story of Moses leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt and ultimately into the promised land and on that journey climbing Sinai and getting the commandments and the covenant of God with his people. Well, think about this as I, as I point out some of these similarities between the story of Moses and the story we just read of the transfiguration. And tell me if you see the links between these two stories. In the story of Moses, you have Moses, God's appointed leader of the 12 tribes. He climbs a mountain. He's overshadowed by a cloud. His face shines in glory, and God gives him a commandment. Now, fast forward to the transfiguration. Jesus, God's appointed leader of 12 apostles, climbs a mountain, is overshadowed by a cloud. His face shines in glory, and God gives a commandment. Do you, do you think that God is trying to connect these two stories in our mind as we read them? Do you see the similarities? A man, a mountain, the twelve, a cloud, shining face, a commandment. Just in case we've been dozing every time we've read the book of Exodus and haven't really got these pieces, Moses shows up on this mountain in Jesus' transfiguration along with Elijah, and that's God's way of elbowing us in the ribs to say, pay attention. I'm connecting these two stories. And when Jesus and Moses and Elijah get together to talk, what do they talk about? 
not the Gamecocks, not spring break plans. Look at verse 31. They spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now today, all of us are going to learn a little biblical Greek. We're going to be able to walk out of here speaking something in Greek. Isn't that exciting? We're going to do that today. Watch this. The word that they use here for departure that Luke is using, that they're discussing about, is the Greek word exodus. Okay? The Greek word exodus from where we get our English word exodus, which all kind of works to remind us about the exodus. Everything in this passage is pointing to that quintessential story of salvation in the Old Testament that pointed almost more than anything else to Jesus coming to lead his captives free. That story of Exodus where God's people were literal slaves in Egypt. God raised up a prophet, Moses, who led his people out of slavery through the Red Sea and ultimately into the promised land and created a covenant people for himself. Any Jew half-versed in scripture would have known this story, that God raised up his people through the Exodus and Deuteronomy 18.15, that God was going to raise up another prophet like Moses to lead his people. Any Jew would have recognized that. Enter Jesus on a mountain with a cloud and a shining face flanked by Moses and Elijah, the sum of the law and the prophets, and we're beginning to get the sense that somebody greater than Moses is in our midst. Here's some clues that the transfiguration gives us that somebody greater than Moses is here. You know, Moses, when he went on the mountain in Sinai and he spent time before the glory of God, he returned with a glowing face because his face reflected the glory of God. God's glory shone on him like the sun shines on the moon and Moses' face reflected that glory. But in verse 29, Jesus' face and his clothing are shining before God even appears. Jesus is radiating his own glory before the Father appears. Secondly, Moses receives God's word in stone tablets. He gets the Ten Commandments with God on Mount Sinai. Verse 35 Jesus is God's word. Jesus doesn't get tablets. Jesus gets the affirmation of the Father saying, this is my son, listen to him. His words are my words. And thirdly, Moses himself experiences salvation in the Exodus. Moses himself was a fellow Israelite who was led to salvation with his people. In verse 31, it says that Jesus achieves the Exodus not by passing through the Red Sea, but by passing through death and conquering it. Someone greater than Moses is here. Behold your Savior. This is your Savior, Jesus. Don't spend so long in the humanity of Jesus that you begin to forget that Jesus is God himself, that he is dwelling right now at the Father's right hand, that that day will come when all who are in Christ will join a sea of humanity, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people waving palm branches and saying with one another, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And when we say that, the elders and the living creatures and the angels will fall on their faces and worship 
Jesus. Behold your Savior in his glory. Behold him pulling back the veil and displaying to you his glory. That's all coming. That is all ours in Christ Jesus. But we don't get there yet. Before the arrival comes the departure. Before glory comes suffering. Now you'll notice that Peter kind of makes a move to stay on the mountain. Peter likes what he's seeing here with with Jesus' glory, and he makes a move to stay there. At the bottom of the mountain, he's just heard things about denying self and taking up cross and losing your life so that you can save it. And here he sees Jesus' glory, and so he says in verse 33, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now we know that God's word is eternal. We know that we'll always have our Bibles for all eternity in heaven. And you wonder if Peter's going to be embarrassed by this <laughs> because we're all going to get to ask him, that's what you thought to say when Jesus appeared in his glory? Um, Peter is not thinking about an impromptu camping trip here. He's not saying, I'll get the tents, Jesus, you get the s'mores, and we'll meet and camp out here. Uh, Peter is really envisioning celebrating the Feast of Booths. And this was a feast that celebrated the harvest or the ingathering. And this might betray in Peter his sense that these three men are about equal. It might, it might not, but he might be saying, you know, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, we want three tents, three men that we want to celebrate at this time. But this is not the time for mountaintop glory. There is a hard road ahead both for the Christ and for the Christian. And so God speaks and interrupts Peter in verse 35 and says, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And then that's it. The show packs up. The glory is gone. Everything disappears. And Jesus is standing there with the disciples. And these words are ringing in our ears. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You know, God so rarely does this in Jesus' ministry, audibly speak, that we need to sit up and take notice of what he's saying. Why would God bring this incredibly brilliant scene just to three men and just to say so little? What is he doing here? Well, the disciples have just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, and that's who God calls him, my chosen one. And Jesus had to abruptly challenge that thinking. Okay, you know that I'm the Christ, but you don't know who the Christ is. And so that challenge begins to happen. And as the gospel unfolds, we see two competing storylines going back and forth. The disciples think that Jesus is the Christ, but here's who they think the Christ is. The Christ is a conquering king. He's going to bring his army, and he's going to bring the kingdom and his glory here and now for us to experience. That's the disciples' storyline, and they repeat that storyline again and again and again all the way into the first chapter of Acts. Then you have Jesus speaking a different storyline to these disciples and to us. There's no Christ without a cross and no Christian without cost. The road to glory is suffering. Jesus is heading to take up his cross in Jerusalem, and he is inviting us to follow after him and take up our crosses as well. The desperate need of the hour here in Luke chapter 9 and in our day is to stop speaking our own storyline and to start listening to Jesus's. 
You know, you could sum up the rest of Luke chapter 9 as a story of mishearing Jesus, of not hearing what Jesus is saying. It's all over the rest of this chapter. The disciples go down off the mountain, and they can't heal somebody because they are not believing and trusting in Jesus. Then Jesus foretells his death, but the disciples can't understand that. They're not hearing Jesus. The disciples argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom because they're not hearing Jesus about what the kingdom is about. They go to a Samaritan village, and the disciples offer to call down fire on this Samaritan village because they've got their own story about how the kingdom comes. They are not listening to Jesus and how he brings his kingdom. Many ask Jesus, let us follow after you. We want to be your disciples. And Jesus must tell them, this is not an easy road for you to take because the crowds are not listening to Jesus. The disciples are doing so much speaking rather than hearing that God is pleading with them, shut your mouth and listen to Jesus. Listen to him. He's my son, my chosen one. Listen to what he has to say. You know, it's remarkable how much of the Christian life is discerning between different storylines. How much of our faith, how much of our walk with Jesus is wrestling between competing stories. It's all over the Gospels that we've read. Remember when we preached on on John chapter 4? You've got a Samaritan woman at the well. Is she going to believe her religious leaders that, you, that say you worship in this way and on this mountain and you do this thing? Or is she going to believe Jesus who says, I'm calling worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth? Which story is she going to believe? John chapter 10, Jesus says, look, I'm the good shepherd. Who are the sheep going to listen to? Are they going to listen to the stranger? Or are they going to listen to the good shepherd who knows them by name? Luke chapter 7, the sinful woman at Simon's house. Will the woman listen to the scoffers who are at the table and saying, who is Jesus that thinks that he can forgive sins? Or is she going to listen to Jesus who says, your sins are forgiven? Friends, you and I have a thousand voices clamoring for our attention right now, speaking different storylines to us. We get it from everywhere. We're inundated from everywhere. Friends, authorities, media, Christian romance novels, Satan, Facebook, Satan on Facebook, religiosity. All of us are being inundated by different storylines, different ideas about who Jesus is and who we are, how my life is supposed to go, and what it all means if my life does not go that way. We are inundated with these stories. I like to read a a mock newspaper online, and this was an article, a fictitious article that came out this week. The title is, Woman Who Had Almost Formed Healthy Sense of Self Rejoined Social Media. And this is the first uh, line of the article. Having reportedly developed an increased sense of satisfaction with her body image, career, relationship status, and overall identity in recent months, area woman Katie came remarkably close to forming a well-adjusted positive sense of self before rejoining social media Tuesday, sources confirmed. I mean, we laugh about something like that because it keeps us from crying. We know this is true. We know how fragile we are in our trust in Jesus and what he says about us and how ready we are to hear any other story that's spoken around us about that reality. I'm convinced if today we left everything unplugged and went to a remote island where no one would speak to us, 
we'd have enough storyline in our mind to replay enough noise about who we are and what we're doing that we would never hear from Jesus again, left to ourselves. We are inundated with this. God breaks into this scene and he says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Stop listening to the storyline that's in your mind right now. Stop listening to what your friend is saying to you right now and listen to the storyline of Jesus. Well, Peter, it's interesting. After this, he doesn't breathe a word about this to anybody. He doesn't talk to anybody about this. But later, he writes about this scene in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. In other words, we didn't follow different storylines about Jesus. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Can you believe Peter witnessing this entire scene? You better believe that this shaped and changed Peter forever. He will never forget this scene on the mountain, viewing God's transcendent glory. But then he continues, and Peter writes, and we, those of us here, have something more sure. Wait a minute, Peter, what are you talking about? Us as disciples in this room have something that is more sure than climbing a mountain with two fellow brothers and witnessing Jesus in all his radiant, dazzling glory with his clothes turning white and Moses and Elijah with him and a cloud and God speaking from heaven. You are saying that we share something that is more sure than that? He says this, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word. That is the Bible. That is the word of God to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. You hear what Peter is saying to us? Look, we're not not following these cleverly devised myths. We're not following these storylines that lead us to the left and to the right. We are listening to his son Jesus. And as incredible as that experience on the mountaintop was, you, friends, have something more sure than that experience. You have the word of God breathed to life by the son of God that speaks and lives in you and is like a light to our dark hearts. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are all guilty of not hearing rightly. We are inundated with storylines that compete for our attention, and we do not listen well. Father, I pray that you would take this word that you spoke from heaven to the disciples and you would plant it in our hearts, that we would see you as the son, the chosen one, and over against the stranger's voice and the robber's voice and Simon's guest's voices, we would hear your son speak to us, that we would trust you and walk by the lamp of your light. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.